card skimming. It continues to be an ever-growing concern. Hi, this is Tracy Kitten, Managing Editor with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Jerry Silva, founder of Boston-based PG Silva Consulting. Jerry, go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at PG Silva Consulting. All right, well, I, I've been in the banking industry and technology for about 25 years now. And I've worked in, I guess, what you would call the, the, uh, the trinity of jobs. I've worked for the at banks, um, I've worked for the research uh, industry, and recently worked for an actual provider of technology solutions. Hey, um, I'm really dedicating my time to PG Silver Consulting, which is a company that I founded to deal with uh, making technology work in financial services. So that's both during the process of acquisition and then the actual deployment of technology solutions. So I get to work with both institutions and providers to, uh, to make sure the technology is deployed as effectively as possible. Great. And so when we're talking about the technology that you're focusing on, it's across the board. It's ATMs. It's, it's Teller. It's enterprise management. Right. Okay. Yeah. Skimming is a growing problem in the United States. Of course, it's, it's a problem throughout the world. But when we talk about the ATM or the POS or the self-service device or even pay at the pump, which type of skimming attack do you deem the most threatening? And how can retailers and financial institutions combat these growing trends? Well, they're all kind of equally nefarious, aren't they? Think of it being more pertinent to think, to, to think of it as a difference between fraud on a credit card versus a debit card, maybe, um, instead of being channel-specific. We've had a lot of experience in the past with credit card fraud, and the fires and the issuers have a lot of intelligence in place to actually capture card usage and then use that to detect any anomalies in the card usage. And then that ultimately gets, you know, gets used to stop the fraud before it's committed. And I'm sure, you know, traveling as much as you do, you occasionally receive the phone call from a Visa or MasterCard American Express, making sure that you're the one that's actually using the card. You know, fact that the consumer is almost, almost always protected from any loss, um, as long as it's been reported in a timely manner. They have those systems in place. Um, on the debit card side, but you don't have the same thing. Most banks, uh, as issuers of debit cards, don't yet have that kind of intelligence. Some do, but, but most of them don't. So as long as the card number and the PIN are correct, the transaction is going to go through. There's nothing really preventing it. Um, and although very few banks have actually enforced it in the retail consumer world, retail banking, they could actually hold consumers liable for some small deductible in the case of fraud loss. Um, and in fact, we've already seen banks turn the liability back onto small business, the larger fraud loss, right? So, and so from my perspective, it's not, it's not so much about which is worse. Is it worse if it's at the ATM versus POS or, or self-service device? It, it's really kind of equal when you're looking at it in terms of debit versus credit. And what about the jitter feature? This is something that um, we've heard quite a bit about over the course of the last, you know, five to seven years at the ATM, but is it truly effective? Yeah, I think it is, it is effective. I mean, typical skimming devices really need that, that really smooth travel of the card, uh, either in the swipe or in the reader, um, in order to skim the data off. And so when you're using jitter technology, it makes it almost impossible for the skimmer to do that job. So from that perspective, it's, it's, it's pretty effective. But the problem is that there still are a lot of machines that don't have that jitter technology in place. Um, and, and I'm not talking about just the banks. I mean, banks are doing a pretty good job of, of upgrading their machines to include the jitter technology. But think about the fact that more than you know half or more of the country's ATMs are not bank-owned. The, the ISO deployments, the convenience stores and supermarkets. And, and when you're looking at that market, the business case for ISO deployments is so sensitive to the cost of the machine in order to provide the uh, diesel revenue model for the merchant, that if you add, you know, $500, $1,000, whatever that jitter device costs you, 
um, that, that additional cost, that additional investment can actually make or break the revenue model for a lot of different locations. So all of a sudden you've got a mom and pop that's only generating, you know, 75, 100 visits per month on the machine, and they're making some amount of, of revenue from, from that machine. You add now the upgrade to that jitter technology, um, and that revenue model just completely pulls away. And if, if that happens, then all of a sudden you start losing the machines, and ultimately it affects the consumer's convenience. So, yeah, I mean, the jitter technology does work. It's just not deployed, you know, everywhere you'd want it to be. It's not as, de- as prevalent, perhaps, as, as we would like for it to be. So if you had to compare skimming attacks and cyber attacks with data breaches, um, which of those do you deem to pose the greatest threat and why? Well, it's, you know, here it's a matter of, um, you know, the answer is yes, both. It's a matter of, of like wide versus deep, right? If we're looking at card skimming, card skimming affects thousands of cards at a time during any single event, right? So you've got to put the people together and they go off and skim cards. And they're skimming, you know, again, thousands of cards affecting thousands of, of people, thousands of accounts. Um, and the typical skimming attack, uh, if they collect all this information, thousands of card strikes, before they actually hit the street with, you know, manufactured cards or with, or with purchases. Um, so it affects thousands of people more or less once. Uh, but on the other hand, the, the loss per person is typically limited to either the daily card limit or, you know, the daily card limit times the number of days the consumers is aware that's going on. So from that perspective, you can consider card skimming to be a very, very wide kind of fraud event. Uh, but not very deep, I mean, pretty shallow. Uh, data breaches, on the other hand, is, is a different thing altogether. There we're talking about very, very deep. So if a retail store or institution loses uh, the consumer's personal data, data that can contain account numbers, social security numbers, et cetera, it gets much more damaging at the individual level. Uh, once you get a fraudster that has enough information to open accounts, move balances, close legitimate access to those accounts, Really, the froster is only limited to the total amount of your account balance. They can take the entire thing. Um, they can also, and it gets worse, if they, if they go on then to establish other relationships, and, and notab- notably credit relationships, um, they can destroy the consumer's credit history and their, and their credit reputation. Um, so while it doesn't happen as, with the same frequency as, as skimming, you know, we're not talking about as wide uh, uh, an affected area with a data breach, it is certainly much more catastrophic. It, it dives deeper into that consumer's financial well-being, and it takes forever for the consumer to come back. And it's interesting because as the fraudsters become, you know, more intelligent and, and they become more connected, it's really going to be more difficult for us to even separate skimming from a data breach attack because it's all going to be connected together. Absolutely, especially when they start using that information together. So you can imagine a skimming attack that goes after, a, you know, car a mag stripe uh, information in conjunction with perhaps a data breach. Right. And now they've got they've got an entire picture of your financial security. And on that note, when we, we talk about the connection between um, a compromise of the MagStripe information, getting a pen, and then tying it in with your, your personal history and your banking information, what role do you think um, chip and pen technology, or EMV as it's called um, everywhere else in the world, uh, could play here in the U.S.? Yes, I mean, absolutely. If we brought that over here, it would be, it would be very, very effective in terms of stopping that card fraud. Um, in fact, the, the entire impetus behind EM, EMV was, was the uh, high levels of fraud overseas um, that were taking place because there was so much, so much off-post off uh, authorization taking place. Uh, so from that perspective, EMV is a very, very effective technology. The issue is not so much about whether the technology works. There's so many legitimate challenges in moving EMV to the U.S. that I don't see it happening anytime soon, if ever, uh, not the least of which is cost. I mean, the cost of retrofitting and or upgrading ATMs and POS devices to use EMV is not trivial. 
um, you know, although the per machine cost may be slow, you're talking, you know, low, you're talking about what half a million machines, APMs, God knows how many more POS devices out there. Um, and so the cost becomes non-trivial. Then there's also the issue of reissuing the millions of cards, uh, both credit cards and debit cards, back to the consumer. Um, and when you look at the cost of, of fraud in this country, I mean, it's, it's very different. The cost of fraud and the, and the frequency of fraud in this country is very different than it was in Europe when EMV was established. The numbers just don't justify that kind of investment just yet. We haven't seen the levels of fraud where the banks are saying, well, it's going to be cheaper for us, or the, or the issuers, it's going to be cheaper for us to go off and retrofit every ATM we have, every POS device that we have, and reissue every card we have, because that'll be cheaper than paying off the fraud. That's just not the case yet. How uh, hackable is the EMV standard? Well, it's already been done, right? It's already been hacked. Um, but in the specific case where somebody got around the EMV standard, it wasn't an easy hack. It really required that fraud to be kind of an inside job. You had equipment that kind of went between the card itself and the POS device, let's say. Uh, so, it, so in order to, to hack the EMV card itself, you need additional technology that it, it, it can't yet be as cleverly hidden as a skimming device can be, for, for example. Now, that problem will eventually, I mean, uh, you know, that hurdle has to come down at some point, um, but we're not there quite yet. So, yeah, I mean, no, no technology ever, is ever going to be 100%. EMV is very, very effective. It takes a lot to hack it. Um, but again, the cost of moving to EMV in this country, just it, it's not going to pay off the additional fraud that we're going to stop. So given that, you know, moving to EMV is something that we know works other places in the, in the world, um, is just cost prohibitive at the time in the U.S., what advice can you offer financial institutions and retailers who are interested in improving, you know, risk awareness, risk management programs, and just overall security? Right. Well, you know, I can think of two different things. One is customer education. Customer education is always um, important in fighting fraud. The more your customer knows, the better protected you are as an institution or as a retailer. Um, and we've already seen the use of things like online banking, and this is almost accidental. We've seen that as used kind of as an, as an accidental weapon against fraud because people are much more aware than ever on the day-to-day -day events that are, that are taking place in their accounts. Uh, before online banking, you, you had to kind of wait to see your monthly statement before you noticed any kind of funny business taking place in your accounts. But nowadays, you've got, you know, most people that are logging on either daily or weekly, and, and, and now you've got banks uh, that are also offering alerts and so people are much more self-aware of what's going on in their financial um, in their financial situation. And so you have to kind of take that lead and say, okay, we will try to educate the customer as much as possible, teach them how to use the alerts, teach them what to look for, you know, in, in the case of fraudulent activity. So customer education is very important. Um, the other thing I'd, I think we, I'd say is that we have a wealth of information on customer behavior uh, stored across, you know, the core banking systems, the, all the front office channels, ATM, online banking systems. We have a lot of information about how often and in which way the consumers are interacting with the institution. Um, banks are just beginning to use that kind of information for online banking to understand how their customers normally behave. So they're starting to build, you know, and, and we're talking about very, very few banks, but they're starting to look at their customers' behaviors online so that they can see, well, if, if an ACH transaction gets generated, does this, is this when they normally do it, are they doing it on a Saturday, or are they doing it from a computer they've never used before? Um, so they're just starting to use that kind of information to understand how the customers normally behave, behave and then use that information to prevent the fraud. So we need to start leveraging that rich information, start applying it to the ATM as well, start applying it to the IVR, um, and use the next generation of that kind of fraud detection technology. Try to prevent the bad cards, you know, quote unquote, from coming into the payment system. 
it, it's almost like we have to assume that we're going to get bad cards. And now, instead of instead of stopping the bad cards, which is you know we should still be trying to do that, but in addition, you know, assume that the cards are going to get through, and now look at the behavior and say, does this behavior fit with what that consumer typically does? Thank you for your time today, Jerry. We've been talking with Jerry Silva of PG Silva Consulting. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.